3D printing. Is it a fad or is it the future? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Call it the technology du jour. Everyone's touting 3D printing as the answer to any number of problems. It's going to sharply reduce the cost of manufacturing. It's going to promote entry into new markets. And it's going to allow suppliers to craft product to individual consumer taste. 3D printers can turn out everything from food items to airplane parts to guns. But where is the technology really at today? How much is reality and how much hype? What are the potential and the limitations of this emerging technology? On this episode, I speak with Shashank Narine, Vice President of Account Development with the Smart Cube, a leading professional services firm. He gives us an honest appraisal of the 3D printing revolution and addresses the concerns of skeptics like myself. So here is my interview with Shashank Narine. Shashank Narayan, welcome to the program. Hi, Bob. Thanks very much for being with us to talk about the issue of 3D printing and its impact on procurement. I'd like you to first of all tell me where you think the state of the technology is right now generally in 3D printing. Uh, how far has it come and, and how far does it need to go before it really becomes a uh, common practice in manufacturing? 3D printing has been, the technology has been around for uh, two or three decades now. So, you know, it's not uh, the first few years of its uh, of its coming into light. However, there's been a lot of change in the last five to ten years within this industry. A lot of that has been uh, due to a lot of different materials being used, a lot of different advancement in technology, and essentially a lot more people looking at it. Uh, so if you look at uh, where 3D printing was still say, 10 or 15 years ago, it was mostly in your labs, uh, you know, doing prototyping. But now, both uh, on the industrial side as well as on the consumer side, people are starting to experiment with it, and people are, are starting to see the, the benefits of this particular technology. Where are some of the areas where it's making the biggest splash? You know, rather than going into specific industries, uh, if we talk a little bit more general in terms of the sort of applications uh, where it does well. So whatever you're using complex parts, uh, parts that are hard to manufacture or have a very long assembly line kind of a thing, or uh, especially parts which are not mass manufactured. So you don't, you don't need, uh, you know, 5 million uh Parts, right? Uh, so those are the those are the uh, kind of products where it becomes a lot more uh, prevalent. So if we if we take that as the bigger uh, heading and then go down into the industries where where it makes it more relevant, 
If you look at aerospace and defense, we're talking about, you know, on the industrial side, we're talking about uh, it from an automotive perspective. Uh, healthcare has seen a lot of different uh, uses of this. And then also on the consumer side, so from, you know, everything from uh, marketing material to toys. Every month you'll read a new uh, new industry where, you know, they've, where people have started experimenting with it. I guess my question, though, is how complex are the items that are actually being uh, produced in this manner? Some of the early applications we've seen, especially at the consumer level of, of, of 3D printing, seem to be very basic uh, types of almost – it reminds me of old-style plastic injection molding in a way. It's just very, very few uh, you know, materials and very simple applications. Are you saying, though – that uh, there are other ways in which 3D printing is actually being used for more sophisticated and complex items. Absolutely, Bob, and, and you know that's the that's that's one of the issues on 3D printing because the press only picks up a lot of stuff which is consumer focused. So you know you have thousands of trinkets which you can you know design yourself and print, and it is exactly like what you said. It's 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 it, it's sort of like a thermoplastic uh, uh, print, and that's what the printer is. But bear in mind that these consumer printers are now, uh, they only cost somewhere between a couple of thousand pounds, a uh, couple of thousand dollars. On the commercial side, there is, uh, it is fairly basic, right? However, on the industrial side, you have uh, companies like GE, BAE Systems, Siemens, uh, all using this, this sort of uh, using this technology. When I got really interested was a couple of years ago when I was at an exhibition and uh, I saw this moving part which had, I think, somewhere around 20 different, it was moving, uh, there are 20 moving parts all moving in a different axis, right? And mm-hmm. uh, they all, it was printed together as one piece, right? Uh give you the example of uh, from the industrial perspective where uh, General Electric actually went out and bought a 3D, 3D printing company because uh, it wanted to print a fuel nozzle for one of its engines. So, you know, you can, you can well imagine that uh, it's, not, it's not cheap thermoplastic printing that we're talking about here. Yeah, I'm wondering about the economics of it, especially at the industrial level. I mean, uh, to produce something of that complexity with all of those moving parts, has it got to the point for these companies where it's actually cheaper to do it that way, or are they doing it that way now in hopes that it'll eventually be cheaper? Well, again, you know, we go back to uh, on the industrial side, it's, uh, you know, the, the industrial side doesn't get pulled in by all the new fads which which, which come out, right? So. If GE was not going to be able to uh, do a better job from a quality perspective, and if it was not uh, economically feasible, they wouldn't use it. Right. So, uh, but when you're when you're considering the cost, you have to consider the cost from a total cost of ownership point of view. And uh, you know, in the procurement world, that's that's where we're all we're all heading to as well. Right. So now, if you're going to make uh, an engine nozzle which is made by, uh, through the normal manufacturing uh, process, vis-a-vis making it through a 3D, 3D printed part, which is slightly lighter, has uh, lower chances of breakage because it's been printed as one, partic- one straight product, right? And that's what, that's what they've considered. 
it was a lot more expensive for them. They've actually uh, invested in buying a company, and now they've got somewhere around 300 printers within the company. And, and that's just General Electric. You know, uh, when you, whenever you fly a Dreamliner, the Dreamliner I think has an, has around 25 to 30 uh, 3D printed parts. Uh, and Bo- Boeing has been doing that for some time. It's not just a very recent um, addition to their manufacturing capability. No, they've they've been doing it for for some time. I mean, they've been doing it since uh, the technology was still called additive manufacturing, <laughs> and not mm-hmm. uh, you know the buzzword of 3D printing right now. It sounds much sexier <laughs> when it's th- when it's a 3D <laughs> printer. So I want to talk, though, about the impact that this is going to have on procurement, uh, specifically on the location of manufacturing plants and the number of them. Is this going to lead to some kind of a decentralization of manufacturing, in your opinion? Uh, well, uh, let, me, let me first make a statement which you know, everyone is, is, is talking about. So. In my opinion, I don't think it's going to uh, completely replace industrialized manufacturing as we see it right now. But it is going to have an impact in various sub-segments. It's going to have an impact on various kinds of products. And it will find an impact on places where you don't really need the, uh, you know, where thousands of production is important, but maybe not the millions of, pro- of units produced. So that's, a, that's more a general statement. Now coming back to uh, on the procurement side of things. I think on the procurement side, there are, there's a huge impact. As procurement professionals, we're, we've been trying to get a seat at the board. We've been trying to, uh, trying to get out of, we're not just uh, spend-related or, you know, we're not just trying to reduce costs, Right. We, we're part of the organization, and, and, and we're innovating with the organization. And 3D printing now provides us with those opportunities in terms of, okay, how can we change our current contracts? Let's let's take some examples. When you're talking about spend on CapEx, right, you're always worried about spare parts. You, you know, should we be looking at going to the cheapest place? If we're looking at the total cost of manufacturing, uh, total cost of ownership, then should we be looking at it and saying, no, let's go for a closer place because if there's a, we can't afford a breakdown and spare parts are difficult to come from across the world. Uh, in fact, I've got a very good example in this as well. So uh, I think last month I was uh, with a client. They sort of focus on the automobile side of things. And they were, you know, the conversation was, was about buying this machinery, whether they should be going to China or whether they should be going to uh, Eastern Europe. And uh, the whole discussion was that, yes, I know I can get it 15% total landed cost cheaper from China, but I can't afford to have the lead time on the spare parts and critical elements. And if you add the inventory costs and, uh, you know, the general hassle and, and, uh, of, of, of managing it from, from China, the overall advantages were coming down to somewhere by, somewhere around 7%, where it really doesn't make sense to, to actually do that. In that specific conversation, if we start talking about, okay, we can buy the machine from there, and we can get the 3D, uh, like for the spare parts, right? We can maybe print them locally if required. It changes a lot of the conversations we're used to, right? Mm-hmm. When we're talking about different kinds of strategies, 
it's not always about negotiation, right? So we can start talking about specification changes. The biggest problem we have is on the marketing uh, side of things. There's, there's always a pushback saying, no, this product is not going to be good enough. We can actually print a sample out, and it doesn't take it doesn't take years for it to get produced. There's no mold which has to be made, and then, you know, it takes uh, six months for us to get uh, uh, a demo for that. So there are there are there are numerous different opportunities which which we have. You know, mm-hmm. look, uh, you know, you're talking about you know all the large oil and gas companies have their offshore installations and platforms. Now those guys. Can they afford to wait for X amount of time for some parts? Currently, they need to have inventories which are far too high. Now, what are the options that we have there? It's a very, very interesting point of time where where we as procurement professionals need to say, hey, this is a technology which can have a huge impact on our uh, function, and we need to take it seriously. Well, this is already a trend that we're seeing in traditional manufacturing as companies are realizing the the long lead times and the uncertainties that come with the longer supply chain are causing some of them to resource or nearshore uh, product back to the Western Hemisphere. And, of course, that comes along with the rising cost of labor in China. So you're saying that, uh, that 3D printing might help to accelerate, in a way, a trend we've already seen in traditional manufacturing with regard to where it's being sourced. It could work both ways, Bob. It, it, it might reverse the trend as well, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it depends. And, 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 and again, the, the, dev, uh, the devil lies in the detail because you'll have to look at what, what specific product. If you know you're going to be going and you can still get the product from somewhere else, if the suppliers or if short-term inventory can be produced uh, locally, in terms of risk mitigation, those are again things which you can uh, really look at, uh, you know, doing. But, yeah, but you're saying this really brings the procurement people into the picture more than they were before, uh, are you not? I mean, it sounds like a more complex yeah. set of decisions that have to be made, and therefore procurement has a has a has a, now has a seat at the table as a result of this. Exactly. That's, that's that's interesting. But now there are some complications that come along with this, are there not? I'm thinking of. A few such as, what about intellectual property? What are some of the issues that arise there that might cause uh, some some pause in the minds of uh, companies looking to embrace 3D printing? No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, bear in mind, even though it's been around for 30 years, it's still in its initial years as such, right? So there is, so, you know, there is some time before we've hit complete maturity. Intellectual property definitely uh, is something which is being heavily debated these days. Uh, from a 3D printing point of view, who owns the who owns the design? I think this is more a problem on the on the consumer side of things, on the industrial side of things, because a lot of uh, these designs are already things that we use from a traditional manufacturing part point of view. There there is still a little bit more coverage, right? But there are there are other other issues which we need to deal with as well. So the first one being materials. We have seen the growth with the new materials coming into in, into play. So from cheap plastics, we've moved on to ceramics. We've moved on to certain kinds of metals and alloys. We're you know experimenting with human tissue. We're experimenting with food products. There are a couple of a couple of materials which are going to go into 3D printing, around, which are carbon based and uh, you know some around titanium as well. But 
until we get to a maturity in some of these materials that we can print on a print with we have to we have to just wait for maturity to come into some of these uh, some of these materials because that will accelerate this a lot more the other thing is in terms of toxicity that is stuff which is still being uh, spoken about in fact it's very very important on the on the consumer side of things because largely unregulated on the industrial side still there is some uh, there is stuff which is being taken care of and testing happening there I want to talk to you a little bit about that in a moment, but just to stay on this issue for a moment of intellectual property, does it all? What's the impact of three D printing on the possibility of counterfeiting? Does it make it easier or harder for certain products to be counterfeited through this process? It's the same issue as you have with traditional manufacturing. The only difference is that you can, that because you can start producing much faster because it has a lower setup cost as such, because you don't need to have large very large machinery you don't have to have you don't have to create the mold so yes it reduces the time and cost of setting up the operation but when you're talking about large scale counterfeiting they won't get deterred by just a small time lag this issue of liability you talked about toxicity as one aspect of it and if the healthcare industry is embracing uh, 3d printing then that really raises issues of liability in the case of defective products or even dangerous products so what new issues arise as a result on the liability side in terms of liability there are, I mean there are there are concerns we're hoping to be printing organs in 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 some time we've already started printing prosthetic limbs we've already started printing hip cups and shoulders and spine cages and all, and all of those things which is great from an innovation and you know serving uh, uh serving the patient very well but there is no real regulation around uh, around these products currently from a healthcare perspective we're trying to use the same regulations which we had for traditional manufacturing on this which don't really uh, which don't really cover it and to be honest i think there are a lot of people who are concerned about it so regulations are going to have to catch up with this at some point i would yes. imagine yeah in in the, in the meantime there sounds like there's almost a wild west kind of feel to this thing that um that nobody really knows not, where that is it, going to come down the the good part about this bob is that you know this is not this is being run by uh people who are looking at innovating a lot if, you, if you're trying to print a prosthetic limb right it is someone who has to have done a lot of research about it and is actually passionate about it plus the designs uh, are not so easy to get your uh, get your hands on so actually that's changing as well the bigger concerns that people have is not about the prosthetic lenses about uh, that you can actually print a gun <laughs> yeah you know that's we've not, heard that although we're not at that like, point yet are we <laughs> Because of some of the regulation, which is actually preventing that to happen, but there are a few people who are running projects in terms of saying, if you can buy a gun anywhere, why can't you print a gun anywhere? You will have those sort of views as well. You have to take it with any any sort of new advancement. There will be things which will be in the growth phase of a new technology. There will be, uh, is this the best way to go? You look at every new, over the last 10, 15 years, uh, you know, when the internet was coming in, same thing was there how will we be able to control it and will we be able to control something like this same thing with uh, social media 
and you know, today we can't control social media. We're trying. I'm also wondering about the impact on employment and uh, labor cost. I mean, with, with coupled with advances in robotics and manufacturing, I'm wondering if 3D printing will lead to even fewer bodies needed in a manufacturing facility or not. There's definitely going to be a change because you're going to need more designers. There's a lot in terms of creation of the printers. There's also going to be a lot in terms of uh, for the, on the material side of things. There will be a shift, but I think, I think we need to wait for another four or five years to see, uh, to actually be able to quantify some of these, these impacts. You said that 3D printing is especially valuable on the industrial side when it comes to producing like one-off parts or parts that they don't that the company or the manufacturer doesn't need that many of, which leads me to ask the question on the consumer side, to what degree is 3D printing scalable? I mean, I can see it's great for like, you know, uh, putting out a handful of parts, but I, it's hard for me to imagine this technology getting to the point where it can be producing any great number of items and therefore become more economically viable as a result. Actually, Bob, I wouldn't completely agree with you there. General Electric is looking to print 85,000 fuel nozzles. Boeing has printed, I think, more than 20,000 3D parts. Ford, uh, you know, has, I think, I think it was like 400th part or 500th part is what uh, they've printed. Nike is using 3D printed parts in two of its high-selling shoes. Don't take it that it's only producing one or two parts. When I said uh, scalable or not scalable, it, it's you know if you're producing a million products, yes, at that point in time the economies of scale don't uh, don't don't match up. But if you talk a little bit more on the consumer side of things, right? Companies like Hershey's, Hershey's is trying to print sweets and chocolates using this. The Transformers company and the, the little My Little Pony company, Hasbro, they've tied up with a 3D printing company, which is looking at personalized toys. You can print and order your own personalized toy. There is some amount of scale which is already being displayed. As the industry develops further, the costs will come down. Around three years ago, when you wanted to buy a consumer 3D printer, you'd be easily looking at around... Two and a half to three thousand. Now you can get it for thousand thousand dollars. Currently, for an industrial printer, industrial three D printer, you can get things from around seventy five seventy five thousand dollars, and some even cheaper than that, which are you know professional grade printers. Well, it's clear that the technology has a long way to go, but it's also very interesting to see how far it's come so far and how much it actually is in use in industrial commercial applications. So, Shashank Narayan, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. That was my conversation with Shashank Narayan of the Smart Cube, laying out the future of 3D printing. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Just search for Supply Chain Brain Podcasts. See you next time.